Hello and welcome to the Coast to Coast College Admissions Podcast. Each week, we talk about different college admissions topics and answer those tough questions you may be dealing with concerning getting into the college of your choice. We know how difficult this process can be, so each week we try and make it easier to navigate. Now, here's your host, Anna Wren and Mark Hoffer. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Coast to Coast College Admissions Podcast. I'm your host, Anna Wren. And I'm Mark Hofer. And we're super excited to have with us today Shirag Shamasian from Shamasian Academic Consulting. Um, Shirag is actually uh, did his undergrad at Cornell and his PhD in clinical psychology at UCLA. Welcome, Shirag. Hey, thanks for having me. So we're super excited to have you here today because we wanted to cover the topic of how do you apply and prepare to apply when you might have a child that has learning differences or disabilities? Yeah, absolutely. So this is obviously a huge question and concern for a lot of families. You know, navigating, you know, school can be difficult enough for a lot of these students. Um, So let alone like, you know, identifying the right colleges to apply to, how do you sort of set yourself up for admission success? Also, uh, what are the things to do during high school to build the resilience and skills and all that good stuff to be successful in college because you know as we all know it's not just about getting in it's what you do from there absolutely so first of all I guess we'd like to kick it off Um, Mark and I were wondering how would you classify the difference between learning differences and disabilities for our families out there yeah so these are so I should have thinking about how to best answer this so it's just uh, what people are comfortable with using, right? So a lot of people use the term learning disability, which is totally fine, uh, but others are concerned about, you know, how that focuses on weaknesses um, versus learning differences are just, you know, there are kids who just learn differently than others. Um, but, you know, it, effectively, they're, they're getting at the same thing because a, because a disability also is a learning difference, right? So it's just a classification issue. Yeah, and Shirag, I, I have a, a question basically in that same wheelhouse, and that's that's basically, we know that a lot of high school students um, are very, they are very um, cognizant that they either learn different or have a learning disability, and that they may want to get a diagnosis and might want to find out how they can be more successful with that and find accommodations. But there is often a lot of stigma that comes along with getting any kind of a label, be that a learning difference or a learning disability. When you have um, high school students that you um, work with who are concerned with that, how do you cover that being a stigma and how do you let them know that there are ways to find the accommodations without that? Wow, this is... uh This is a great question, Mark, and something that resonates with me personally, um, as well as in the work that I do. So uh, we haven't mentioned it yet, but I actually grew up with Tourette's syndrome, um, and I sort of navigated school and Tourette's syndrome in a, you know, in a context where mental health issues and learning differences and things like that were were quite stigmatized. They still are, um, you know, in a very small, tight-knit ethnic community. And... um, and so this was a concern for me, too, because on one hand, I wanted to get the support I needed. On the other hand, I didn't want people to, 
treating differently. I didn't want to feel, um, you know, isolated in certain ways. Like if, if you need extra time or you're, you know, extra room, I didn't get any accommodations until um, I got to college, but this is a huge issue. I mean, in, I know that in, you know, in clinical practice and I also do assessments and I'm trained in psychological assessment, but a lot of kids who have this concern, the best way to approach it is to tell them, you know, it's not about giving you an unfair advantage. It's about helping you perform to the best of your ability, right? So that you can perform at the level you're capable, right? So a lot of students, uh, a lot of students feel not only uncomfortable about the stigma and something being in their file or something like that, but they also legitimately comes from a good place, right? They don't want to have a quote unquote unfair advantage. Um, and it, it's really worth telling students that that's not the intention at all. Agreed. One of the, one of the things that I think all uh, academic counselors, when they work with high school students who are there, so much is riding on um, testing, and to see a kid who has all the intellectual capabilities to do really well, and find out that you know with just a small accommodation of either time or other accommodations, um, they, they basically would be able to perform on a, on a level playing field. And I think you're exactly right. I, I think it's, it's more of a, a way of uh, approaching that it's, it's not really getting an advantage, it's merely leveling the playing field. Absolutely. And I think, so that raises another question is, um, so I'm sure, all of us have had families and I work with a certain population as well that, you know, it is a stigma. And so the, a common question they have for us is uh, twofold. So a, when they know that their child has a disability or learning difference, should they um, bring it up in school and get the accommodations? So this is not from the child's perspective, but the parent's perspective. And the other one is, should they mention it when they apply for college too? Yeah, wow. So the, the first the response to the first question is um, generally yes, right? So if, if a student does have um, a diagnosable learning disability and the accommodations will help that student perform to the best of their ability, yes, they should seek accommodations because otherwise um, they might be, you know, hurting their chances of doing doing their best and also by extension, getting into the best uh, possible school for them, right? Um, now, a lot of these situations can be delicate. So it's not as simple as you have a disability, you go to the school, the school just, you know, with open arms offers everything. Um, and this often differs with private versus public schools. So, again, I'm speaking in generalities. Um, I don't want anything to say to be taken as a rule, but... There are a lot of private schools, for example, that aren't necessarily equipped to handle, um, you know, accommodations or giving everything appropriately. Um, whereas with public schools, they're, they're sort of mandated by law to offer those kinds of things. Still, it's not as as that, right? So sometimes there might be a report from a from a certain assessment professional, psychologist, or an educational assessment person, but then the school will want to do their own assessment. Um, so. And that this takes time, right? And there might be, they might not offer everything you want or need. Sometimes they do, but if they don't, you might have to go through, um, you know, a few rounds of back and forth. So the, the point I'm trying to make is to start as early as possible. 
um, to not wait until like midterms are going to roll around or finals are going to roll around or till 11th grade, um, you know, after you've seen ninth and 10th grade were a bit of a struggle because of the, because of the issue. I just want to stop and check in if I, if I answered your first question before moving to the second. You did. <laughs> Thanks, okay. Shroud. Sure. Um, so to answer the second question of, is this worth mentioning on a college application? Uh, again, my answer is generally yes. Now, whether you do that in your personal statement um, or in a, an additional comment section, that's up to you. Um, but you have to consider, uh, you know, all of your achievements um, in high, during high school, whether they're academic or extracurricular, colleges are looking for context. Uh, and a lens through which to interpret them, right? So if there are, um, we see this with socioeconomic status, right? So if one student grew up with a ton of resources, another grew up with way less resources, then a 3.8 is going to be, uh, you know, treated differently based on the student's context. And disability is another variable um, that goes into context, right? So if someone is able to achieve at the highest level, despite having a disadvantage, um, which is the, the learning disability or ADHD or Tourette's syndrome or an anxiety disorder, et cetera, et cetera, um, then, then that's gonna be part of the context. But, uh, but you have to also handle this delicately. So you don't just say, you know, I have ADHD, so life is much harder than me, for me, um, so you, know, you should admit me to your college. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> You really have to um, do a great job of, you know, giving them insight into your day-to-day -day life. How does this actually, you know, ADHD, yes, we understand what it is sort of, but it's very different, like understanding the condition versus how it impacts someone's day-to-day -day life. Um, maybe you can take the angle of how it impacted your schoolwork, perhaps your, your self-concept, your self-esteem or something like that. But, but the more, um, you know, but the more you can zoom in and provide a real sense of how this impacts your life and, and the growth that you've, uh, you've achieved despite of that, or perhaps used as a, you've used your disability as a springboard to achieve success, that's going to be um, very important. So, so don't, so you should never do it. Um, you should never talk about it to make somebody feel bad for you or to give you, um, you know, a nod or to bump up your uh, application in, in the pile, but but really to provide context and and to uh, you know let them know what are the unique qualities that you bring to the table. How have you uh, demonstrated those qualities through your unique experiences with disability and hardships, etc. Yeah, one of the things that I write on that same note is that I think we hear disabilities. Um, and it's this overarching umbrella that has so many things that are underneath it. But we know that disabilities, and much like you said, Shirag, how that actually manifests itself in a daily event uh, for each individual is very personal and very individual. And one of the questions I have for you, what, since you work with a lot of high school students who are preparing for college, um, are there a lot of uh, what, what would you say are the most common, and there again, I'm falling into that umbrella, what are the most common things that you would suggest students who have uh, disabilities or need accommodations um, or learning differences, that they start practicing or things they put in place, behaviors or support systems, in high school to prepare for that transition to college? 
Yeah, uh, another awesome question. And, and uh, you know, this we have to go back to how individualized this all is, right? So in the in clinical psychology, we have a we have a statement we sometimes make, which is like, if you've seen, for example, one kid with autism, you've seen one kid with autism. Right? <laughs> yeah. and so, there's, so there's incredible variability, not just like across the, you know, the disability or mental health spectrum, but also within uh, a class of disability, right? So um, ADHD for me, Mark, might not look like ADHD for you, right? So it's all about like working with the right professionals to identify, well, how is this disability impacting my life and my schoolwork? And then what can I put in place? So for example, um, if someone is having a really hard time listening, uh, you know, paying attention to the teacher and, uh, and also taking notes, perhaps uh, they can have a note taker request or, or they can request lectures or say uh, they're being distracted by all the other kids by sitting in the back of the class. Maybe they move up and sit in front of the class. They can have what we call preferential seating. Or if it's, um, if, you know, the student is struggling with disorganization. And, uh, you know, they don't necessarily have all of their, like, books in their backpack or everything written in their assignment book. There could be something where um, the teacher signs off on, okay, does the student have everything written down in their assignment book? So there are a lot of support systems that you can put in place. We can list hundreds of these things. But the, the, one of the big goals that I encourage for my students is to actually take command and take the initiative to look for these things themselves, right? Because oftentimes what happens to students is throughout high school, you know, the high school is a, a smaller, maybe more tight-knit community or their parents are more involved and, you know, they see the same teachers every day, the teacher knows them by name, etc. And then when they go to college, the landscape completely changes, right? Absolutely. And now, now they have to advocate for themselves. They have to set up individualized meetings with teachers to, to hand over a letter from the disabilities office and um, let them know about the accommodations uh, that they need and things like that. But, you know, rather than start when you're 18 for the first time, why not, you know, have uh, school staff and parents encourage students to do this at 15, right, to set up the one-on-one -on -one meetings with the teachers or the school counselor and things like that, because more than the more than the specific accommodations required is, uh, you know, the students' independence and ability in acquiring them. Absolutely, I think they're and and when they make that transition, I think th this is a, a question that just follows right after that. Is uh, I mean, there are many colleges that profess um, to have uh, great support and academic accommodations in place for students. However, I think uh, students often have a very different opinion of what great support <laughs> is once they are actually at that school. So when you're working with students who are looking at colleges, are there specific tools or resources or even, you know, even cultural or social pieces um, that the school, uh, that uh, students with disabilities should look for or they should ask about when they're looking and touring schools? Yeah, so... Absolutely. So when students are visiting college campuses, you know, I'm sure you I all get these questions too, like, what should I ask them, right? Yeah, yeah. Or should I talk to them, <laughs> like that? And so if you're a student who um, is concerned about, you know, disability and needs accommodations and things like that, 
this should go into the college research process. So rather than, you know, apply to the 10 schools on your list and then you get into them and then you show up there and hope that, you know, that school provides everything, uh, do the work ahead of time, you know, do the research ahead of time. The same way um, you do research for anything else, right? You don't just like uh, go to a car dealership, the first one you see and buy, buy the first one they tell you about, right? So you have, you have to actually do the research, weigh the pros and cons. Um, speak with the disability services office. So what I encourage students to do is when you're going on a college tour, um, contact the disabilities office and see if you can just walk in and talk to someone or uh, maybe you need an appointment or things like that. And just be frank about, you know, this is, uh, these are the kinds of accommodations I, I need. Maybe I get them in my high school, maybe I don't. I'm just curious how to speak handle this kind of situation and um, a lot of students find that the experience is very different in college because they have dedicated centers to um, accommodate learning disabilities and differences right so there are people on staff who want to help um, and that is very different oftentimes than high schools right um, mm -hmm. especially if it's a high school with less resources and they may not be able to accommodate everything um, college can be a very different experience, but having this conversation early and doing the research ahead of time uh, should definitely go into the decision of the schools to include on this. So, super individualized once again. Yeah, thank you. So now that we're talking about schools, like how do you, I once had a guidance counselor uh, tell a student that I was working with who had a physical disability, that they should apply to at least 20 schools <laughs> because of their disability. Mm -hmm. uh, I disagreed with that. Um, so my question to you is, uh, given that this is a specialty of yours, what would your recommendation be for students that have um, challenges? Yeah, so it, it's funny. Whoever, you know, this guidance counselor was just saying, you know, apply to 20 so that, um, you know, either you'll have a higher chance of getting in or the ones you get into are the ones that can actually accommodate your conditions. But, you know, rather than put in a ton of work to apply to 20 schools, uh, why not do your research up front and apply to less schools and know that the ones you get into would be able to support you in the way that you need, right? Um, and it takes less upfront to ask those questions rather than write tons more supplemental essays and get recommendation letters sent out to all those schools and that kind of thing. Um, so again, like so many things in life, right, the, the work you put in ahead of time um, pays, you know, pays dividends way later. Sure. So I, I, uh, I, I have to give a shout out. I was, uh, I toured the University of Denver, DU, uh -huh. and um, I was really impressed by what they were talking about and what they had in place. But I was even more impressed by how they walked that talk. And because I talked with a lot of students and found out that they actually do what they say they're going to do. And they're very proud of it. And a matter of fact, it comes across almost as, as a social statement, a, a cultural statement of what's important to their community as a learning community. And I, I was curious, um, are there particular schools that you know that do it exceptionally well. Yeah, there are. Um, I mean, I, and this, I'll give a special shout out to, you know, my, my alma mater. So you see, you know, like, um, they did a wonderful job of, uh, of accommodating, um, you know, the accommod or me, right. Not accommodating my accommodations, but accommodating <laughs> um, 
but but really tremendous. I mean, um, so, but, and there are so many schools, and there are many that we can list, but here's, here are some questions and uh, things that I encourage students to ask to find out if that school can handle their specific um, accommodations, right? So not only, not only, hey, like I need extra time, do you guys have extra time? Because every school is going to say yes, but other questions to ask are, um, you know, how many, how old can an assessment report or assess or uh, disability documentation? How uh, how old can it be for you guys to still honor that, right? So if it's um, if it's a an, an evaluation you received in ninth grade and you're going to start your freshman year of college, that might be outdated. So you might need uh, to revisit someone. Or another question is to say, um, you know, I have a I have a private assessment report or an assessment report that I um, got through a private psychologist or whomever. Um, do you guys do your own evaluation here or um, do you guys just go by the assessment professional's recommendation? Right. right? Because you mm -hmm. have to you have to think about where are all of the places that there could be a barrier or a gatekeeper or an issue and things like that. And when you start getting into these kinds of questions, um, you start to hear very different answers. Um, so some folks will say, or maybe some schools say, well, you know, we might have a trusted list in our area. Or if it's uh, X years old, then we, and they've given X, Y, and Z tests, because there are different tests that you use for assessment, um, then we'll, uh, we can qualify you for the same accommodation. So these are the kinds of questions to ask. Um, but in my experience, there are so many. I know American University in D.C. is tremendous at doing this. I know, I know my schools were tremendous in offering accommodations, and um, students find success uh, in many places. You just have to ask ahead of time. Yep. Great. So in addition to starting early um, and, you know, asking these questions and doing their research, what additional advice do you have, like whether um, as it applies to other aspects of the application process? Well, there was something about the essays that I wanted to um, touch on that uh, that slipped my mind when we were talking about it, which is, um, you know, when you write your essay, you know, all of the all of the guidance that you've given on your podcast episode on writing college essays applies to disability. So I just want to stress that, you know, writing about disability and things like that, the same applies that in terms of writing an engaging introduction, demonstrating the qualities that you want. Uh, maybe writing about like a challenge and how you overcame it and what insights you developed and growth and all that kind of thing. Um, but disability is very interesting because a lot of students feel like um, on their application that they're going to be viewed negatively, right, by, by disclosing a disability. Um, mm -hmm. Whether they're quote unquote like making excuses, they're trying to get someone to feel bad for them or things like that. So, you know, and, and so what they'll do is they'll try to like overcorrect. Right. So what they'll say is like, um, I used to have all of these issues and I have all these struggles and now I've overcome them all and I'm, you know, I'm on top of the world. Right. <laughs> but that's not a very like human experience. Right? A lot of us, when we have struggles, disabilities or otherwise, it's not like you overcome them and there's a period after which you stop struggling with them. And disability is no different. Um, and you have to, you know, portray that in your essay. So what I call this like, I call this ending on like a work a work in progress kind of note, right? So this is what I, these are the cards I've been dealt. 
here's what I've managed to do despite it, or maybe because of it. Um, here are all the ways in which I've grown, but here's all the work I still have to do, right? And, mm -hmm. and so if you, if you present yourself that way, it's a very humble and a very real and very human experience. Um, and that can, that can, you know, that humanizes you, that makes things more tangible. It also makes uh, the reader feel, you know, more affectionately towards you. Yep. Hero's journey works every time. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think before you had mentioned, I'm sorry to interrupt, Mark. Um, uh, just how, you know, painting that picture of what, uh, with, you know, what living with that disability or learning difference is like. And I feel like that um, makes admissions a lot more sympathetic and is more understanding of what challenges you face. So I think that's a really great tip, too. Yeah. I've got one uh, question, and it's basically something I've run into just very rarely, but it happens. Um, where a student who has a disability, and they've actually worked within it, and it's well known uh, during their high school career. And much like we know many students use college as this time to wipe the slate clean, reinvent themselves, and start fresh. Well, I've had a couple of instances where students who have successfully created support for themselves and, and, and how to work you know, academically um, successfully, um, and then they go to college and they decide to totally change their support or totally disregard support. Like uh, I had one student who stopped taking Ritalin that they were successfully using uh, all during high school and couldn't understand why they crashed so dramatically in their in, you know, the first semester. Mm. So are there common traps that uh, students with disabilities fall into when they make that transition to college? Yeah, I mean, you, you pointed out a great one, Mark, which is, uh, you know, forgetting about what got you there. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm not trying to suggest at all that, you know, riddling gets someone college admission success, not at all. What I'm saying is uh, the support systems in general, right? So whether that is uh, like the psychotropic medication or, um, you know, organization tactics or having um, an accountability person and things like that. So you have to, you have to understand, like, Again, because you have some sort of disability or a difference or things like that, there, there, you have to put accommodations and things like that in support systems in place, right? And so, so to cut yourself like cold turkey or things like that could be very problematic. The same way, um, you know, if you if you struggle with depression and you surround yourself with a lot of people, um, you know, and that's like and do a lot of activities and go through behavioral activation. All those things could be beneficial, but then to say, oh, I got this. I don't need all that stuff anymore. That's the trap, right? Yeah. So whether it's anxiety or ADHD or learning difference and things like that, to assume that, um, you know, you don't need the things anymore because you've got it figured out when, it's probably the courses and the accommodations that have created an environment in which you can succeed, right? So... When you do these things, let's say you have multiple support systems or accommodations. If you're interested in sort of uh, quote unquote like weaning off them, uh, do them do them like do that deliberately. Don't go cold turkey. Maybe do it one at a time. Do it with the support of the um, like clinical professional. So if you are taking medication, for example, 
Um, it was likely prescribed by a psychiatrist, uh, maybe a pediatrician, but you know, likely a psychiatrist. And so talk to them about that. Um, you know, a lot of professionals' goal isn't for you to take this medication forever or for you to come see them forever and things like that, but for you to like succeed in your life, right? So in my when I in my clinical practice, I always tell patients like the goal is for the goal is to not need me anymore, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't mean I'm trying to you know kick you out the door. Um, but, you know, making sure that you can sort of take um, initiative and control of your own health and your own education and your own success, but knowing that there are people here to support you. So ask, can I um, go down my medication and try that? Or, you know, with the organization thing, I don't think I need an accountability partner anymore. I'm going to try this for two weeks or a month and see how that goes um, and revisit it then rather than making these decisions for yourself and in an uninformed way. Absolutely. Good advice. That's great advice, Sharad. We really appreciate it. Um, so wrapping up, is there, are there any concluding thoughts and where can people learn more about what you do? Sure. Uh, I mean, my concluding thoughts, I think what sums up um, a lot of what we talked about is to, uh, you know, embrace who you are um, and to sort of own the the cards or the difficult situations that you've been dealt and to, to make something more of it, right? Because when we try to cover up these difficulties, um, we're typically not very successful. So make sure to embrace them uh, and do everything you can to be successful in spite of or because of them, right? Because you never know how you're going to uh, benefit from that journey or benefit others too. I know, I know in my, um, personal life, I used to feel really down about having Tourette's syndrome. And the moment I embraced it, uh, you know, a lot of people have, have really been um, sort of attracted to my story and have sought help and things like that. So there are so many ways to impact others' lives. That's wonderful. And I think it's great that you can serve kind of as, you know, a, an example for your students, like, hey, you can totally do this. You, you, yeah, you absolutely can. And there are so many, there are so many people out there who um, do tremendous work despite having a um, disability or perhaps because of, so it's, it's in no way a, um, you know, a, a sentence or anything like that. Great. Yeah. So where can people learn more about you if they want That's, to? <laughs> Sorry, I cut you off, Anna. No, go ahead. Um, I, the best place is to uh, go to shamasyangconsulting.com slash secrets, and I'm sure you all can link to that. And um, that's where uh, families can download the, the top, the 10 college admission secrets no one talks about. It's my, it's my short guide. Um, and then once they do that, you know, they'll have my email address. They can reply and ask any questions they want about disabilities or college admissions or college admissions with disabilities, etc. Thank you so much, Sharag, for your time. I know Mark and I really appreciate it, and we've learned a lot on this uh, on this session with you. Yeah, thank you, Sharag. It's my pleasure, and, and y'all did a, an amazing job of putting me to the test. Uh, <laughs> no, really, I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Coast to Coast College Admissions Podcast, where we make getting into college easy and fun. Don't forget to go over to iTunes and subscribe to get updated each week when we release a new episode. Also, for more helpful college admissions information, visit our website at www.c2ccollegepodcast.com. 